Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legvold. Okay, thanks for joining us for our third episode of Beneath the Wing, where we explore and get to know a little bit more about the people that are a part of the 133rd Airlift Wing here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. And joining me today, we have Senior Airman Jeff Fouts. And Jeff and I have known each other for a good long time because I used to work with him in security forces before I, I moved into this new role. But uh, he is not only an awesome security forces member, but he's also the 2019 Airman of the Year, not just for our wing or um, the state, but also for our region. So he went really, really far in that. We're gonna learn a little bit more about what it takes to become an Airman of the Year and what makes Jeff Fouts tick. So welcome, Jeff Fouts. Thanks for having me, Chief. Really thankful to be here and very humbled to be in your presence as usual. You're a riot. Okay, we're just going to end like that and, and have a good <laughs> conversation for the rest of the time here. So um, it's been quite a year for you. Becoming an Airman of the Year is uh, it's, it's, a, it's a cool deal, but it's a, a detailed or a complicated journey. So uh, let's start at the, really, at the beginning. Now, why did you choose to join the military, join the Air Guard? So uh, I had a career, I was in law enforcement. Unfortunately, my career didn't work out and pan out and being in the military has always been a dream of mine as a kid. My father was never really in the military, but my great-grandfather and my great-great-grandfather before that, they were in the military and I always thought it'd be kind of cool to carry that tradition on. And I always kind of wanted to do it, but life circumstances happened and I figured out this was the best time to do it. and. I'm really thankful that I did for career enhancement, but also for personal growth for myself. Were they in the Army or Marines or different branch, or were they Air Force too? I come from a Navy family, so it was kind of a big deal for me to not be a part of the family tradition of big joining Big deal, the like Navy. they were disappointed in you and looked down at their feet, or? <laughs> Surprised. Were they proud of you? Very. Yeah. Great. Um, when it comes to joining the Air Force, going through basic training, all of those, uh, you know, the things that you have to do just to get in, um, did you find that to be challenging or hard? I'd say the most challenging part of basic was being older. When I enlisted, I was 27 and I went to basic when I was 27. So I already had a lot of life experience compared to a lot of 18, 19 year olds who freshly got out of high school. So. That was more challenging to me because I was dealing with people that were a lot younger and who were very immature. And thankfully my BMT flight, basic military training flight was 85% guard and we're all over the age of 25. So it was, we were pretty well together and we're very high speed and able to accomplish things. So I was thankful for that, but at the same time, experiencing my training instructors who are talking to me as if I'm a little kid was kind of frustrating to me. 
simple rules when when we get down to basic training and everybody kind of goes through that same experience right it's Correct. part of the shared shared experience of getting into the military but not everybody has the same job and so when you went through a flight is about how big at basic? We were 52 strong. So 52 of them, they're not all going into the same job as you, right? Correct. I had the majority of us were security forces. So during my tactical training, that was actually beneficial of already having that relationship and having an understanding of who I'm working with. Did they all pick security forces? They did. Did you pick security forces or was it picked for you? I picked security forces when I went through the recruiting process, maintenance was offered to me because I scored decently high on the mechanical portion, but don't trust me with a wrench. So I wanted to pick something that I was already comfortable in and confident in my skills and abilities. Sure. So you picked security forces. Are you happy with your decision still? I am so thankful to be in security forces. I couldn't imagine a job in the Air Force where I wouldn't wear a beret, where I wouldn't wear a badge, and I wouldn't arm up on a daily basis. You feel like your job is to, um, well, what do you consider the primary part of your job? Why is that appealing to you? So the primary part of my job is customer service, in a sense, because I'm working with a diverse group of individuals, whether that be in a stateside environment or in a deployed environment. I'm a huge proponent of relationships and professionalism and having that level of relationship with the people that you're working with is very beneficial, in my opinion, not only for mission accomplishment, but for growth. Great, so let's talk a little bit about those relationships, especially ones that we're not used to establishing. Um, you got back in the last year or so from deployment, and it was a tough one for you guys. Uh, you went to a difficult place and had a difficult mission. Tell us a little bit about that and tell us about some of the relationships that you built with people you normally wouldn't build relationships with. So my deployment was in Afghanistan. I had a really interesting role. Um, typical security forces deployment looks at standing at a gate and checking IDs. However, I did a lot of flyaway security and personal security detail for various individuals, including pilots, who were also advisors, who were advising the Afghan Air Force on how to build a sustainable, dependent, reliable Air Force. So these are American pilots that are basically teaching? Correct. Okay. And you were their security guard? I was, and it was great. Additionally, we did outside the wire missions, whether that be some presence patrols on the Afghan Air Force base. I also was the only operator and administrator for the TAS system which is a tactical automated security system. And that was a big deal for me because I was really stepping out of my comfort zone doing something that I've never really is done before. Is that like before. My, my ring system that I got on the front door, but a little bit heavier duty? Without going into too much detail, yes. Okay, all right, that makes good sense <laughs> to me. So you were the only operator for that, and you were a senior airman or an A1C at the time? I was a senior airman, and I was tasked with being in charge of a $564,000 system which ended up breaking. On top of that, I had to replace it, replace the fiber, and do a lot of electronical work that I've never done before. On top of that, I was also one of three armors within our FOB and our area, so I was supervising over 600,000 rounds of ammunition. An, an armor is somebody that can just hand, hand somebody else a weapon safely and successfully for, so they can do their job, right? Correct, maintain that their weapon's working, maintaining that they have proper ammunition, proper training, it's a lot of responsibility for a senior airman. Sure was. 
I really enjoyed the responsibility. I really enjoyed the challenges with that. Because it was, I lived on a small fob. There was a lot of rank and there was a lot of oversight, mm -hmm. not to the point of micromanagement, but everything had to be perfect. And because I was doing so many things, I had a lot of eyes on me on a consistent basis, checking up on me, being a resource for me, but at the same time, excellence in all we do is a big thing. But at, at the end of the day, we have to have everything perfect because in an environment such as Afghanistan, people get hurt and we don't want that to happen. We want everyone to go home at the end of their deployment. So everything had to be perfect, not only for me, but for everyone else. It's about you know safety, right? Correct. Yeah. So safety of the people that you had, you built relationships with, right? So getting back to that, you see your role more as a customer service person. Um, you were working with a lot of different nationalities, a lot of different people, and a lot of different characters. What was the, what was it like to you know be introduced to somebody that was from a completely different culture? Um, at your relatively young age without a whole lot of training and experience in that. How did you communicate and establish a good relationship in that? Just about everyone spoke English. Um, my roommate, for example, was from Sweden, a Swedish, Swedish Air Force medic. Thankfully, he is also an American citizen, so he and I had a lot of common ground. But most people in general, there's a lot of different viewpoints, and it's about establishing that regardless of your viewpoint and your angle in life, that you're here to complete a mission. Even if you disagree with that person, you want to go home at the end of the day. That person wants to go home at the end of the day. So it's a lot of collaboration and working together to get to a common goal and a common objective. Did we have training that kind of helped prepare you for that? Or is that just something that you picked up? So training with other nationalities is something that we never really had. We had training for like the local customs, such as the local Afghan individuals, about their customs and courtesies, but nothing about the other NATO personnel that were there. Do you think that some of the things that we do here at our home station help prepare us for dealing with people that are maybe different than we are? Mm -hmm. And your role as a customer service specialist in security forces, aka you know, law enforcement guy here, I mean, you get to deal with all kinds of different people does that help prepare us for those deployed missions where we're dealing with a completely different culture? It sure does. I know a big thing within the wing is to be accepting of all and to be professional at all times with that. So having that strong base, being able to easily work with and jump into any situation is a big thing within the wing mm -hmm. because we work with so many diverse groups and just applying that on a larger scale in an environment that's austere is something that we jumped into right away with no problem. Yeah. And from everything that we've heard, excelled at it. So your supervisor on that deployment puts you in for Airman of the Year. He also puts you in for the TJ Labreco Award, which is a pretty big deal in security forces. Tell us about that award. So uh, TJ Labratio was a defender, and unfortunately he passed away in 2013 in Afghanistan for his, well, not didn't pass away for his, but was unfortunately killed in action. And his achievements and his heroism displayed during that time, an award was established to continue his legacy. And I'm thankful to be able to carry that on in a tradition that not a lot of other people have the ability to do so. How does it feel to be you know, given an award that is named for somebody that did something so, I mean, that sacrificed 
ultimately. Um, is that emotionally difficult when you really take a step back and think about it? It is because I'm carrying his legacy on and his tradition and carrying on his great name. It's incredibly humbling to be compared to someone who made the ultimate sacrifice doing something so heroic and sacrificing himself for others. And yet your boss felt, hey, this guy is definitely doing some things that um, he would carry that tradition on really, really well because of the things that you were doing in Afghanistan, the relationships that you built. But not, o not only that, some of those outside the wire, uh, inside the wire missions that you were doing that were really emotionally and physically tough and stressful. Um, how did you balance that while you were there? Was it, was it hard every day or did you have a lot of downtime where you can just kind of uh, um, decompress? So it's kind of different for everybody else. I really didn't have downtime because of all the responsibilities I took on. My supervisor encouraged me to go back to school prior to my deployment and I really didn't want to, but I took his advice and I did and I'm thankful for it. So that ate up a lot of time. But in addition to my responsibilities, I was also a trainer for our new people coming in in tactics, weapons handling and procedures. So if I had downtime, it would be working out. And a lot of working out was my release, but at the same time, being a little older and having that level of mental resiliency compared to someone who's a lot younger has really prepared me for that and that has really allowed me to carry on and establish being comfortable while being uncomfortable. Do you think that um, being busy kept you well? Oh, it did. The, the big key? I'm a big proponent of staying busy. I know that if I get bored, I become complacent. I understand that complacency kills, especially in my career field, but it kills kills anyone in a sense of becoming lazy, which ultimately ruins careers, ruins a lot of things, and I refuse to be another statistic. You definitely have shown that um, somebody like you can self-identify and do a little bit of reflecting and, and thrive. So um, speaking of thriving, a measure of success is that big airman of the year. That's, that's a process too. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I remember working on your award package as it went through, and how many times did I have to call you in the middle of the week and say, hey, oh, by the way, we need a little <laughs> more information. Um, tell us about that process. What was it like? And then, so now that you've been Airman of the Year for a year, what's one of the really cool things you got to do because of that? So first tell us about the process, and then tell us about you know some of the perks. So the process started when I was in Afghanistan. Everyone's like, hey, you're Airman of the Year for the squadron. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not really sure what that means, being relatively new to the Air Force. And as I came home, I realized that how significant it was. And that really made me think of like, what can I do to make everyone's life easier? So it was kind of stressful because I was the focal point. I was the centerpiece. And I don't do well with being on the spot. and having all that attention because I, I'm very introverted. I have to be extroverted at times. And so stepping out of that comfort zone was great for me. But at the same time, I got to learn another set of the Air Force, which was 
the administrative side, specifically dealing with awards and decorations and how everything has to be written specifically, how it can only be a certain font, how my pants have to be three-fourths of an inch longer than what they are. So it was, it was really interesting. I'd say one of the most uh, stressful times was you gave me a call and you're like, hey, your pants are too short. And I'm like, uh, can I just pull them down a little let, bit? Let me just clarify this. So it was, we looked at the, your picture um, and this gets scrutinized when you go all the way up to the national level, including you know how it rests on the shoe. And so there's this big group of you know old people in the Air Force that are looking at the at pictures of our Airmen of the Year and and saying, okay, dude's pants are too short, uh, you know, arm is bent a little bit too much, and it's that level of detail that goes into selecting. So, getting to that level, Jeff, and then moving beyond that, you know, the elite of the elite and the most picked over people get to the level that you are at, and and. I mean, it was just awesome to be there knowing you and just wanting you to, to be successful and then saying, oh, but come on. I mean, honestly, it's a three-quarter of an inch drop on the pants, but, yep. So then I get to make the panic call, and there you were, right? It was uh, actually worked out kind of great because one of my friends is an active-duty recruiter up in Duluth, and I'm like, hey, can I borrow a pair of your pants? And he's like, yeah, sure. So my girlfriend quick hemmed him up. And I went back to the 148th, and huge shout out to them for working with me and being able to fit me into their schedule. And we were able to get the pictures right. So that was really cool, too, to see the level of detail and intricacy, just how one award package is scrutinized, but also quantifying that and looking at it from a bigger perspective of, if the Air Force is so focused on this, I can't imagine what they're focused on in their tactics and their techniques and procedures and development and war fighting capabilities. I'm glad you can see that there's there's a, a, a rhythm and a rhyme to the sometimes ridiculousness of, of the level of detail, but uh, you're right. It We focus on those small things so that we get the small things right. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'm glad that you see that. So you get Airman of the Year. What's something cool that you got to do because of that? I got to work with a lot of different entities on the base between the 148th and the 133rd. And I got to see... The 148th being the unit up in Duluth, Minnesota, right? Correct. Yep, okay. And I got to see different angles of how everything operates and how everything has the ability to come together and to be a public figure in a sense. It was also a growing opportunity for me because I mentioned I'm extremely introverted and now I have to step out of my shell and become extroverted, which is a big thing for me, being able to, again, being comfortable while being uncomfortable. So um, on top of meeting a lot of cool people and, and being a, now a mentor and a role model to others, we're moving into a new cycle of selecting the next chairman of the year. Uh, is this something you're going to help in your home squadron and, and in other organizations on base so that they can be successful in that? I would love to. I'd love to be a resource for anyone. I'd love to be able to help out as much as I can, whether that be a phone call like, hey, I'm feeling pretty stressful. What can you tell me? What can you do for me? Or, hey, I need, the, I need you to accomplish this for this. I would be extremely blessed to be considered to be in that running and to be able to be a resource. Great. 
uh, I, I know uh, reaching out and uh, um, picking somebody else's brain is an important part of being a, a part of the big organization out here. And sitting down with me and talking a little bit about um, you and letting other people get to know you probably would give them a sense of, uh, of safety in, in reaching out and touching base. We are talking with the 2019 Airman of the Year at the 133rd Airlift Wing, Jeff Fouts. And we are going to be back with Jeff, but first we're going to get a message from a different Jeff. Uh, Jeff Sprick, one of our unit's recruiters, has a couple vacancies that he wants to talk about. And so we will be right back after we hear from him. Hi, this is Sergeant Sprick with the Minnesota Air National Guard recruiting team out of the 133rd Airlift Wing in St. Paul, Minnesota. Here's how our recruiting process works. Once you get qualified, you choose jobs to tour. That means you go to the work area, check it out, talk to the airmen who do the job, ask them any questions you can think about. This helps you make a very well-informed decision. Connect with us on the socials, Sergeant Sprick or M-N-A-N-G Recruiting on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Again, that's Sergeant Sprick or M-N-A-N-G Recruiting on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Have a great day. Okay, thanks Sergeant Sprick. And again, if you're out there listening and you have someone in mind that would fit those jobs, uh, make sure you give them a call. We are talking with the 2019 Airman of the Year, Senior Airman Jeff Fouts. Jeff lives up in Duluth, Minnesota, but he comes down to Minneapolis-St. Paul uh, to be a part of the 133rd. Um, even though there's a unit up there in Duluth that I guess didn't have a spot for him when he decided to recruit in, uh, we took him with open arms and, and it's been a great relationship and we've been really, really proud of how he has represented us as a state, uh, as the Regional Airman of the Year for our area. So again, uh, welcome back, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This is a whole lot of fun. So um, being in Duluth, uh, Duluth is home to, uh, you're famous, um, in the entire region of the Air National Guard and, and represented as well. But there's another famous person from Duluth, Bob Dylan, who is a, do you know Bob Dylan? He and I went to elementary school together. Together. I was unfortunately about 50 years behind him. Okay. Um, so obviously you may have had the same teacher in literature. He is a Nobel Prize winner. No pressure. <laughs> Airman of the Year. Okay. Nobel Prize, right? Um, but let's just say you and Bob Dylan are sitting down having one of his favorite drinks. And the Beatles said that Bob Dylan's favorite drink was cheap wine. So you and he are sitting around having a glass of cheap wine, talking about songs that have meaning in your lives. And he wrote a lot of cool stuff. So what are some of your favorite songs that you would talk with Bob Dylan and say, have, this has really big meaning and has maybe helped me through a hard time? Uh, audio Slave, Shadows on the Sun. I understand that's not the Beatles, which can, is... Can you sing a couple bars of that one? I cannot. Probably I, good for the podcast. Very yeah. good, and I should stick with my day job. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, um, Shadows on the Sun. There have been some moments in my life in which have been really challenging and really difficult and kind of dark in a sense. And I'm naturally a bright person. I'm always happy, excited to be around someone. And, but you know, we all have dark times. And so regardless of those dark times, I maintain that 
sun sense and that being able to be bright and be someone and be significant. So in a sense, that really applied to me with being a shadow on the sun in the, in the sense. Cool. Who sings that? Audio Slave. All right. I'm going to have to tune into that one. It's, I'm not... Uh, that's why I asked you to sing it, but that's okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll hold off on that. It'll be something I'll have to listen to after I'm done listening to this podcast. Um, what other songs have some meaning to you that you carry around with you? So uh, I coached competitive swimming for eight years. I've swam basically my whole life competitively or swim lessons. or I spent a lot of time in a pool regardless as a kid. As a young adult, fun fact, when I was 14, I started working full-time in a pool, teaching swim lessons. So believe it or not, Swimming Pools by Kendrick Lamar. I know that it's kind of not really the thing, but it kind of has meaning because I spent a lot of time in a pool. And there were times in my life where I would not get that chlorine smell off me. And I'd be on a date, and she would look at me like, you really smell like a pool. And I'm like, well, I basically live in a pool. Chlorine is clean, though, right? <laughs> it is clean. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Cool. What do you think Bob Dylan's favorite song would be? Ooh. I mean, you guys did go to elementary school kind of together, yeah. so I'm assuming you know him better than I do. I know his picture pretty well. I mean, I would guess something by the Beatles. All right. We'll go with that. Um, so Shadows on the Sun, right? We got done with something kind of tough out here. Um, our big state active duty push and security forces was a huge part of keeping our community safe um, after George Floyd's murder. Uh, during those peaceful protests, when, did you get sent downtown for that? I sure did. I was actually driving back from Grand Rapids when I got the phone call. I was about 10 minutes away from Duluth and I got a phone call and it was about 10 and I was told be here by noon and I'm like, yeah, I could give you one, one thirty by the earliest and okay so I came down and armed up and got squared away and we went downtown and eventually I was picked to do the personal security detail for the adjutant general also known as the tag a lot of that the top ranking officer in our state correct and to make it even better he's an army officer an army general and so I was tasked with being his personal security detail along with four others for an army general. And it was pretty great. I uh, learned a lot from the administration side of how big meetings happen and the importance of collaboration with multi-agencies such as Homeland Security, Emergency Management, and other National Guard units who have resources that we don't have. I got to see that aspect, but additionally, I got to develop a relationship with the top dog. And that was really cool because I got to see him as just as a regular person when other people just see him as stars. And I got to develop that relationship of, you know, he's a normal person too. He puts his pants on the same way. And it was cool to see that side of how the military works when you're balancing a very similar military operation to what you would see in a deployed environment stateside. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, just to be clear, you were doing some protective detail because he had um, had some active threats directed specifically toward him, correct? Correct. So they asked us to do that type of mission while the National Guard was um, protecting 
the the public during the peaceful protests in the in the local area, um, and some of the not so peaceful protests too, protecting the um, our own community. Where was your heart at during all of that uh, here in the state of Minnesota, where it was so emotionally charged, and you had a job to do and focus on um, that you care a lot about, but you also care about the people in the state and our community. Um, how did you balance being a guardsman and being a Minnesotan at the same time? First and foremost, I am a huge proponent of freedom of speech and expression. So people wanting to protest, perfectly fine with being peaceful. So that's where my heart is. And then once they turned violent and aggressive and people were getting hurt and police officers were being harmed, that's where it became kind of a gray line because at the same time they're violating so many things in which force may have to be used, but I don't necessarily want to have to use force on my neighbor per se. So my heart was in a lot of places at that time because on one hand I have a job to do which is to maintain good order and discipline and to protect those who are making the big decisions, but at the same time I'm also human and I'm also a citizen, so personal thoughts and feelings kind of went out the door a little bit once everyone started to become aggressive and violent and putting others at risk and jeopardy. Kind of had to put it in the pocket for a little bit. Correct. Yeah, and then um, when you were in Afghanistan had a stressful job, you, you kept busy and that kept you better, right? So. Um, unpacking what you stick in the pocket for a little while. How did you do that when it's at home? It's a little more difficult because I don't have the ability to be thousands of miles away. Instead, I'm five minutes away from my base and two hours away from my home. I just talked to a lot of my friends and thankfully there were a lot of people there that I never really got to know. Mm -hmm. So I got to build that friendship and that relationship and tried to occupy myself with that kind of stuff, which was good because at the end of it, I came out being more comfortable with people in my squadron and being able to have that relationship that I've never really had because I've never had the ability to really just hang out and talk with someone or be around other people in my squadron that I'm not deployed with because I'm usually out the door or, or out at some training or doing something. and. I'm really thankful for that because that was able to really relax me and be able to associate myself with them. And as an introvert, <clears throat> being able to you know still break out of that a little bit and have those conversations, you probably made it safe for other people to talk about that too. That might be an introvert as well. Correct. Right? Yeah. So one of the big things that I did was I made it a point when we weren't actively on a mission to visit all the guard posts and check in with them and just be a resource to be able to, if someone had a question, I can answer it. And then people started to realize that, hey, it's Fouts, he's the OAY and the winner of this really cool award. Like, wow, that's really cool that, you know, he's taking his time out of his day to come make sure I'm okay. So that was pretty neat to be able to see that I'm de-stressing people or relaxing some people who are already pretty stressed. One of, one of the jobs of, and you are, I agree, uh, you're, you're kind of a big deal. People know you, right? 
Correct. Uh, yeah, but one of the jobs that comes with that is the you know going out and letting people know, hey, I'm struggling through this too, and I care enough about you. And and you talked earlier about those relationships and how important that is, and and going out and being purposeful and developing those relationships. Um, you've been a busy guy. Uh, you got a busy home life. You got a busy personal life, um, and you stay busy here at the guard. I know you're going to grad school now. Correct. In emergency management? Emergency disaster management. Great. I will be graduating May 2021. So the cool thing is that right when you got back from technical school, your first training as a security forces guy, we sent you on a plane almost, <laughs> what was that, like? Two weeks. <laughs> two weeks Two weeks back from uh, tech school, and we put you on a plane and sent you down to her, do Hurricane Katrina relief on uh, one, one of the uh, Virgin Islands. So you've learned a lot about how all these big systems work. And in your short time in the Guard, you've experienced so much. Um, is that where the passion for studying emergency management came from? Or is that tied to your civilian job? I think that came from wanting to be where the future is. So uh, criminal justice, great. Law enforcement, great. But how can I separate myself from the pack? What can I do? What can I obtain that will make me a better candidate in promotion or looking for a civilian career? And that's where emergency and disaster management kind of came into play is, hey, I've already experienced some hurricanes. Recently, I experienced civil unrest. I've experienced a deployment that was pretty stressful. Why not take some of that experience and apply it where I can apply it in an educational field and I can learn from it, but I can also be a resource for everyone else in my program. Currently, there's five other people in my program, so it's very tight-knit where I know my classmates, and it's always been kind of enjoying for me because I'm getting to see how emergencies operate on a wider scale, but I'm able to see it from a guard perspective as well as a state perspective and my civilian job perspective, working in healthcare, um, un unfortunately, a couple of years ago, a refinery blew up and I happened to be working in a hospital and I had to basically make a plan for evacuation of the hospital because it was within the blast radius. And unfortunately, the administration at that time didn't see the need for it, but I was able to convince them and we developed a plan and executed it. So that's another experience for me that I decided to tie into my educational career. Did, did the Guard help you be successful in that, or did your civilian job help you become successful in the, um, the program of study that you're in? I'd say the Guard most more so because they've provided me with a lot of the experiences and the trainings and has affirmed that even if I make a bad decision, it's better than no decision. If you had, that's a great piece of advice and something that you know, people, leaders at all level, in regardless of where they work, struggle with. Um, but we try to analyze and we try to make good decisions as much as we possibly can. If you were brand new again, what do you wish somebody would have told you going into all of this? Lead me, follow me, or get out of the way. So how do you like to be led? I like to be led in a very 
dynamic way with someone that is very high speed, that is a go-getter themselves, because that's the environment that I gravitate towards, mm -hmm. as seen in everything that I've done. And when I'm in an, an environment where I don't have that, I kind of revert back to the lead me, follow me, or get out of the way. Some, and Sometimes, do you have to push your leaders a little bit to get out of your way? A little bit. Yeah. So I'm 30 right now. I mean, earlier I mentioned that I enlisted when I was 27, so I had a lot of life experience before that. So a lot of that was I'd sit back, listen, kind of take note of the situation and the circumstances, and then I would look at my leader and pull him, pull him or her to the side and be like, maybe we're not looking at this the right way, and maybe we need to look at this from an outside-the-box perspective. Is your critical thinking in that moment always appreciated by the people that were leading you positionally? Not always. Because that's challenging. Not that's, that's sometimes hard. <laughs> it is. It's not always received, but looking back at it, it's very much received mm. because it kind of turns into, oh, hey, you see something broken, you fix it. You run with the football. If you're doing something wrong with it or if I don't think you're able to handle it, I'll take that football back and we'll give it to someone else or we'll have some mentoring. And I really like that style too because that allows me to grow as an individual. Great. So let's move on to a part of the podcast that I like to do called Quick Questions. So I'll, I'll <laughs> ask you a question. Usually I'll like a one or two word response. We'll just rip through these real quick and we'll get it. Like, again, a, a little deeper dive into you. Don't take too much time to think, all right? Perfect. Okay, cool. So your favorite action hero? Schwarzenegger. Get to the chopper. <laughs> all right, fine. <laughs> Famous person you'd most like to meet, not Schwarzenegger? Jocko Willick. M movie that made you cry? I couldn't tell you. I really don't cry. I'm not a big crier. Maybe Flags of Our Fathers. Better. Okay. <laughs> What's, what scares you the most, not crying in public? Drowning. Oh. Uh, hockey or basketball? Hockey. What did you miss the most when you were deployed? The state fair. <laughs> and here, here we don't have the state fair in Minnesota again. I was a little, little butthurt about that. Uh, that. I don't know if we can say butthurt on a podcast, but hey, we'll get on beyond that. So... <laughs> So Schwarzenegger, favorite action hero, really? Oh, yeah. Are you going to grow up and be governor? I hope not. Like him? I do not want that job. What? What, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about him? Just the size, the strength? So The tough guy thing? I've listened to a lot of his podcasts and his struggles of like becoming a bodybuilder and becoming someone famous. I understand that in our, everyone's life, our struggles are similar regardless of your background or your experiences. And that kind of hit home for me because at the end of the day, we all have similar struggles. And I really liked hearing that, and that was really humbling to me. Has, <clears throat> what would you consider, I mean, having been in, in the military now for the last three years, what's been your biggest struggle I'd say my biggest struggle is realizing that I'm not always in control of situations because being a senior airman, an E4, with a lot of life experience, 
and being very dynamic and direct. You know, I've seen quite a bit and done quite a bit. And when I hear someone making a decision that will impact me and it's something that I don't really like, I don't necessarily have a say in it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's a struggle for me, but at the same time, it's a growing opportunity for me. So I look at it 50-50 with a glass half empty and glass half full. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, glass is pretty full out here. Oh, yeah. You have big goals? I do. You going to retire with the guard? I'd like to. You going to be in charge? I wouldn't say in charge in charge, but I feel that being in a position of leadership is something that's definitely up my alley, and it's something that I strive towards. I'd like to be sitting in your chair someday. I believe I said that a couple times, even when you were our senior and when you were our chief. I remember a couple times popping into your office and telling you that I'm going to be sitting in your chair someday. I hope you are, uh, are ready. And, and based on all the good experiences and things that you've done, um, I, I have no doubt that you will be. Uh, we've been talking with Jeff Fouts, the 2019 Airman of the Year. Um, it's been a great interview, and I've really enjoyed talking to you. You are um, the reason I wake up excited and to come to work every single day. People, You're too kind, Chief. Well, uh, you, you and a whole host of others uh, inspire me every day to, to do my very best um, in what I do. But I know that you are internally driven, and that drive and that uh, you know, good, positive uh, vibe and your self-reflective ability is going to lead you very well and lead others really well out here at the wing. So um, I want to say thank you. Um, thanks for all that you have done so far in your career. Great stories, awesome experiences, stuff that uh, you know I would never have dreamt of doing when I was uh, in the Air Force for my first three years. But um, you've been excelling and I do hope that you'll come back and talk with me sometime and continue to be out there and inspire me to do my job well. I would be honored to come back. Jeff, thanks again. And for those of you that listened in, thanks for uh, tuning in. Uh, next time on Beneath the Wing, we are gonna talk with our former wing commander and a current one-star general that just got done going through the application process for adjutant general of the state of Minnesota. Missed it by that much. General Dan Gabrielli, our uh, St. Paul hometown native. So that should be an intriguing interview. Uh, so hope you all tune in then. Thanks for listening.